Come on, let's give God a hand for everything he did at our encounter retreat this last week. We had over, over 500 students from all over the state come together and worship. Their tail ends off for a couple of days. And uh, they came back and slept for three days. If you got a teenager, they went back into a cave when they got back. But it had an amazing time with Jesus and uh, some great stories from that. Uh, I'll need some grace from you guys this morning. I've been fighting a cough. Anybody love seasonal change allergies? I mean, come on, where are my people at, man? It's just been so cool trusting God for that. And so, um, so my voice is uh, hurting a little bit. I'm going to try not to have a coughing fit. So if I start to cough, I'll throw the mic somewhere over there so you don't have to hear it. So watch out over there. And, uh, but today... I'm going to have to just kind of speak a little softer. I I won't be able to get my preach on as much today. It's just going to be more like a creepy Mr. Rogers sound for you. So won't you be my neighbor? We are finishing out the series out of 1 John. And Jared did a great job last week bringing the word, just talking about how there's nothing that compares to the presence of God. Today we're going to finish out the series, and I'm going to go to a subject that has been resounding throughout this book, and that is the subject of confidence. Everybody say confidence. You ever had a time in your life where you just felt like there was no way that you could fail, like you were just so confident that you have what it take, takes or took to do something to accomplish something. Uh, Back in 2001, when I had already told Cody how I had felt about her, and obviously she was thrilled to death um, to find out that I was attracted to her. And uh, (laughs) we had been in a dating relationship. I had spiked, bleach-tipped hair, um, sporting the silver tabs and a white button-up shirt. Just just say I wasn't in my highest form at that point, but uh, I felt like it was time to confess my love to Cody. And so I don't re- exactly remember the setting, and Cody couldn't remember either, obviously made a huge impact in her life. Uh, <laughs> but I remember feeling led by the Holy Spirit. It probably wasn't the Holy Spirit. She was just hot, and I was like, man, I was just like... <laughs> I know you probably don't appreciate me saying that from stage, but it just was where I was at at that point. And, and so I decided it was time. And I, I had felt, honestly, that, that I had fallen in love with her um, not long after I met her. I just knew that the Lord had, had placed her in my life and that I was going to spend the rest of my life with her. But you don't come out of the gate straight away with that stuff. Um, and if you did, sorry, that relationship's probably over. But... Um, <laughs> But I, I felt like it was time to tell her that, that I love her. And so I remember, like, I, you know, I, I, I'm not always great with words, but I kind of prepared the, the way I was going to do this and say this. And so um, I remember, you know, whatever that moment was, just peering into her eyes and just saying, Cody, I just want to let you know I, I love you. I love you. And uh, I'm always going to love you. And then probably quoted some quote from Armageddon because that was a cool movie like around that time. And, and, and felt so confident in saying that, you know. And the, but the reason why I had so much confidence was because part of it was because I just felt so confident about how she was going to respond. 
And I remember her looking back at me and those beautiful Montana girl eyes, eyelashes, you know, just... There was a long pause there, and she said, well, thank you. (laughs) I mean, what do you do with that? You're welcome. (laughs) It's kind of, typically, it's like, I love you too, or something like that. But, But here's the thing. Um, in, 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 sometimes we do things in our own confidence that doesn't work out the way that we want it to work out. But what I do love about that moment was <laughs> it didn't change my confidence in how much I loved her. Like her response to my love did not change my love for her. I was going to love her no matter what. And that's the same love that God has for you. God is going to love you. And he is confident in his love for you. No matter if you respond to his love or not. He loves you. He's going to pursue you. But I have a a simple question that I want to answer through the word and through through encouragement today, is do you have confidence in Christ's love for you? Do you have Christ's confidence in your life? Is it a part of who you are? Is it in your DNA that who you are is someone who is confident in who you are in Christ? The people that John was writing this letter to, man, they were in a really bad spot where they were denying truth. They were walking away from truth. They were not confident in who they were in Christ. People were being really wishy-washy and, and even denying who Jesus was. Does it sound familiar at all? Because to me, it sounds a lot like the culture that we're living in. And what he was trying to get to this place is, is bringing back a Christ Confidence. Currently, our world is going through a crisis of confidence. I think that's the biggest issue. They don't have confidence in anything but themselves, which always fails them. When you just have confidence in you, you're going to be in a cycle for a long time or confidence in anything else, honestly. I mean, whether it's a system or a government or whatever it is, outside of Christ's confidence, you're just going to be in a cycle that fails you. But maybe you're in a place where you're kind of struggling with some of what the world does. Maybe a little bit of, of a conflict or maybe a little bit of a crisis of your confidence and who you are in him. Maybe you have some questions in your life, like who is God? Really, is there, is there really absolute truth? Like, is it okay for me just to kind of do my own thing and then make it right? What works for me works for me. What works for you works for you. Maybe it is all relative. 
maybe a, a postmodernistic, post-Christian, post-church view is, is okay. Maybe that's some of the crisis of confidence that you're dealing with. But these kinds of questions, obviously the people of 1 John and that, that, those churches and those people that John was writing to, they were struggling with this. And, and many people struggle with it now, but it's left a lot of Christians in a bad spot. Maybe some of you are there. No confidence in who you are in Christ. So this is what John says to them in 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 13. My purpose in writing is simply this that you who believe in God's Son will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life. The reality of it, though, not the illusion. And how bold and free we then become in His presence. Just like, man, when you know who you are in Christ, it changes worship. It changes giving. Like the song was saying, whether it's valley low or, or mountaintops, you just know and you're free. Freely asking according to his will, sure that he's listening. And if we are confident he is listening, we know that what we've asked for is as good as ours. So this is John, he's encouraging, he's like, stand firm in who you are in Christ. Because when you walk away from Christ's confidence, it puts you in a bad spot. There's some symptoms, there's probably a lot more than this, but this is what I find in my own life. These are some of the symptoms that I can see in my own life when I am not walking confidently in who I am in Christ. Uh, one is just insecurity. You just, I just don't feel great about who I am or if I can do something. And I struggle with this being a pastor, honestly. And sometimes it's around something as simple as church attendance. Like one week, like it'll be low for whatever reason, our church attendance. And, and I like ask Cody, like I'll come home and be like, oh, it's over. <laughs> it's over. The whole church is going to shut down. I like go back and listen to the message from the previous week. Like, what did I say that ticked everybody off? Was it the cat thing? Was it the... Surely there's not that many cat lovers in our church. If there are, maybe it's okay they left. But God still loves them, even though they're so wrong. I just get insecure about things when I'm struggling in Christ's confidence. An inability to overcome temptation, I think, is another symptom. Like, when you aren't walking in Christ, you don't know who you are in Him. When temptation comes, it's almost impossible for you to withstand it. You give yourself over to it. Depression. Depression is definitely a symptom of a lack of Christ's confidence. Just losing 
who you are and who he is and no matter what is going on, like in the end, we win. You lose sight of that. When I lose Christ's confidence, I'm easily angered. Or I just am like a little emotionally unstable. I don't know if I want to laugh, yell, scream, cry. When you're not confident, you don't know who you are, you're emotionally unstable. A big issue is you just don't have any vision for your life. That's a big symptom. You have no dream. Nothing bigger than yourself. Nothing God-breathed that you're aiming your life at. So how do I build Christ's confidence? First of all, you got to know that God loves you first. God loves you first. This is where confidence starts, right here. The reality that God loves you first. Notice I didn't say God loved you first. That is a true statement, but when you communicate it in the past tense, it could propagate the whole notion that some of us live by, and that is, well, God loved us, and so he sent his son, and Jesus died, and he paid the price, but now it's completely up to us to initiate relationship with God. And that's not true. God is, has been, and will always be the initiator. We are simply the responders. What we do is we respond to what God has, is, and will always do. He is the initiator. Of love. So he didn't just love you. It's not that God just loved you. He loves you. It's continual. John 4.10 says this. This is love. Not that we loved or love or will love God. But that God loved, loves, and will always love us. That he came to us and that he pursued us. We have the only religion on the planet that believes in a God that believes back into us, that loves us, that pursues us. So everything in our faith journey is a response to God. You don't have the ability to initiate anything with God. Because he's already doing it. Now this is so important because some of us are so works-based. We think that if we do certain things for God, that it invokes something in him, that then he'll give us. And we think that includes his love. And it's just not the way that it works. Everything we do in relationship with God can only be a response. You don't worship to get God's attention. You worship because he is worthy of your attention. You're just responding to him. People don't give financially to get God's attention. 
It's a response to God's goodness. It's a response because really, give is not even the right word. It's his. We return in response to God's goodness because of who he is. And it's so important that you understand your role in the relationship. Because if you don't understand your role in the relationship, you will never have peace in your soul. Your role? You're a responder. Too many believers walk around with no peace, no joy, and no confidence because they think it's still on them to do, to try to get God to do back. If you're still not convinced, you must understand that questioning God's immense love for you will always hurt you. And it's not just hurting you, but it's actually questioning God's nature and character. In 1 John 4, 8, it says, God is love. It's who he is. It's his identity. Love is a synonym for God. But the problem is, we don't understand what God love looks like. We confuse it with other kinds of love. There's actually four different Words for love in the Greek. The first uh, word is the word storge. This is like family love. Like, love you, mom. Love you, dad. Try to love my in-laws. You know, that kind of love, like family love. And then there's phileo love. That's the friendship love. Your BFF, you know. And then there's eros love, which is the romantic love. I think that one right there, though, is the one that gets us in trouble. Because I feel like so many of us, and certainly our culture, this is what we think is the kind of love that we need to be fulfilled. Like, if I can find somebody that has this romantic, and I'm not saying that this isn't important. This is important to have. And this is, by definition, between a man and a woman, this romantic attraction, eros love. We think that if we can find somebody that has as much of eros for us as we have for them, then that is the combination that makes for successful relationship. But it is not. Because the biblical model is there could be eros that gives the initial attraction. But then you have to decide whether or not you have agape love. Because agape love is godly love. And it's different because it's unconditional love. And it is not based on feeling. It's not based on just the emotion that you're feeling in the moment. How many of you know you can't just have emotional feelings-based love for your spouse? 
Because you're not going to wake up every day feeling like loving them. Liking them. Some of you are like, I don't know what all that arrow stuff is. But that like went out a long time ago. I still feel something. But it's mostly um, violence. some anger in there. (laughs) Agape love is the love that says, I choose you. I choose. I choose you. And nothing you can do can change me choosing you. I choose you. It's not based on feeling or what you've done or deserve. It's not a love that can be won over. It's unconditional. And when God said God is love, he says God is agape. God did not choose you or love you based on what you have done or not done. His love is unconditional. And God can't stop loving because God can't deny himself. For God not to love would be for him to choose not to be who he is. And God doesn't have an identity crisis. Like God's not up in heaven and like one day like he's looking at you and you being a bonehead. And he's like, I don't know, guys. I just don't know if I can love them today. <laughs> they really are being a, a big meanie head to me. And I don't appreciate it. It's ridiculous. He is love. I'm married to Cody. I hope that she knows that I love her. Baby, you know I love you, right? She gave me an okay. That was a very, that, that brought back a lot of memories of the first time I told her that I loved her. Thumbs up emoji. Okay. Well, I think she is convinced that I love her, but how ridiculous would it be if she's like, oh, yeah, he loves me. He just never listens to me. You know? He doesn't really know who I am, which is the second thing. If you are going to be convinced of God's love, you have to know that he's listening to you. God is listening to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This talks about who God is. is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. Keeps no record of wrongs does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices in whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It always helpful endures through every circumstance. Okay, God is love. This verse is talking about agape love. 
So switch out every time it says love and put the word God. When you start realizing this is who God is and who he is in your life, it's so important because if you don't believe this, you won't think that God wants anything to do with you. You won't think that God hears you, that he wants to listen to you, that he cares about everything that's in your heart. But when you know that God is kind, that he does not envy, God does not boast, God is not proud. God is not proud. I mean, who has more right to be proud than God? God is patient. He waits and waits and waits for you. He's patient. He's not self-seeking. God is not easily angered. God keeps no records of wrong. This is who God is. You have to know that this is who he is. And you can know that he is listening to you. And in the same respect that it would be ridiculous for me to say that I love Cody, but her to feel like I don't listen to her, to suggest that God loves you, but that God is not listening to you is ridiculous. But one of the things that hurts our confidence in Christ is that we feel like he doesn't listen to us. And you may feel confident that God loves you, but you struggle with whether or not he cares to listen for you, that he hears you. It says in 1 John 5, 15, and if we know for a fact, as indeed we do, that he hears and listens to us in whatever we ask, we also know with settled and absolute knowledge that we have granted to us the request which is asked from him. He hears and he cares about everything. And there's a lot of different theological discussions we could get into about this verse. But this is basically saying he hears, he's listening, but it's not promising that if you pray for a Ferrari, that God's going to give you a Ferrari. That's not what it's saying because he also puts the disclaimer in verse 14 that when you ask anything according to his will, it says he hears your request. You have to trust him for how he's going to answer. But you have to know this. He loves to listen to you. We don't serve a genie God, though. We don't serve this God that's like, man, anytime I just, I want to be able to just come to him and he's going to give me whatever I want when I want it. This scripture is about a father God that's listening to everything that you say. And I promise you this, look at what the world has to go through when they don't understand who their father God is. You, much, you would much rather have a father God than a genie God. You would much rather have a God who listens and knows what you need than to go on what you think you need. I love to listen to my kids except when they speak in Wainese. We don't speak Wainese in our house. We don't have a translator for it, so it just makes no sense. 
to speak whinings. But on the whole, I love to hear them talk about just their life. Like, and each one of them speaks differently. Some of them are a little more reserved. They'll talk, but you have to provoke them a little more at different points to talk. London's kind of like that. She can be a chatterbox around some people, but a lot of times she's just a little more methodical. Corbin will talk about just about anything. And the kid's brilliant. So he starts just randomly talking about things that are like, I'm just like, that's awesome, buddy. When I was your age, I played with sticks. (laughs) So, you want to play with a stick? (laughs) And then Reeves, Reeves is like the quiet talker of the house. He he doesn't mind talking, but he talks like this. What? Like you have to get really close to him to hear what he's saying. I like that about him though. And then Grayson, she's young, so she she's a lot of fun to listen to because you just never know what she's gonna say. She's bold, she's loud and brash. She's kind of a little bit like a tomboy. She laughs like <laughs> like literally, like she's got this man laugh. I'm just like, what? We'll work on making that a little more effeminate at some point or another, but I love it though. The other night she was in the kitchen. I walked in and, and uh, she's got a hot dog bun out and some jelly and peanut butter. And she's like, Dad, help me make a sandwich. I'm like, well, baby girl, I mean, we got some bread. Why don't you want to make a sandwich on like some bread instead of a hot dog bun? She's like, Dad, here's the thing. Like, I made a sandwich or I had a sandwich on a hot dog bun one time, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on a hot dog bun one time, and I'm telling you, it was totally blowing my mind. (laughs) Your mind is really easily blown. Uh, We probably just ran out of bread and just had hot dog buns, and now she just thinks it's the greatest thing ever. But I love to listen to them because they're my kids. I care about what's going on in their lives. Here's the thing, though. Sometimes Grayson will ask things of me that I know are not wise. And so I don't always give her what she asked for. Because if I gave Grayson everything that she asked for, she would never bathe She would never sleep, and she would only eat candy. And I know that that's not a good idea for anybody. Isn't it amazing how difficult it is for little children to understand the essentials for life? But how many times... Do I come before God with my request and my questions? And I'm sure I just sound like a little kid 
who doesn't understand what is truly essential for my life. But guess what? He still listens and wants to listen to you. And when you know that God is listening and that he wants to listen to you, it will give you some confidence in your life. The word promises he's listening. Psalm 145, 18. God's there listening for all who pray, who pray and really mean it. Now, that, there's a whole nother sermon there. Because there's a level of sincerity that God wants. He wants you to be real. If you just like throwing up half-hearted, non-relational prayers, I don't know that he listens to those quite as much. But if you care and you want to talk to him, he's listening. Number three, you got to know that with Christ you overcome. You got to know that with Christ you overcome. If you don't know that you're an overcomer, if you don't know that you are above and not beneath, that you are a head and not a tail, and God has called and purposed you to do great things for his kingdom, then you need to be infused with some Christ confidence. Because in him, you are those things and so much more. First John chapter 5, verses 4 through 5. Every God-begotten person conquers the world's ways. The conquering power that brings the world to its knees is our faith. The person who wins out over the world's ways is simply the one who believes Jesus is the Son of God. God is saying, you can walk around with some Holy Spirit swag knowing that with him, you win. You've already won. You overcome in Christ. The problem is, it's so easy to switch out your confidence of who you are in him with the confidence of who you are by yourself. Because, because we've all accomplished something. You ever accomplish something that's just so huge and so, it just gave you like, man, this is oh. like a financial goal or a physical goal. Maybe you lost like a bunch of weight and all of a sudden you're like, yeah, I got this. I know in my life, one of the struggles that I have is I very quickly bring my self-confidence with me and leave my Christ confidence at the door. And it isn't wrong to have self-confidence, but it is wrong when you are depending on it instead of depending on Christ and your confidence in him. Because too much self-confidence out of check, it would be better to have no confidence at all. Do you know that you can overcome with Christ? Because you can't truly ever overcome without him. 
Maybe for a season, maybe things will go well, but at one point or another, without him, without your confidence in him, you will be in a cycle. I have some struggles in my life And I'm a strong person, and I have a strong personality, but there's some things that I still struggle with that I need him to help me with. I can have a temper sometimes. Like, I have a walk-in storage space in my attic now. And the reason why I built that into our new house is because one of the things that would cause demons to manifest out of me was that when Christmas would come and I had to get up into the attic, to celebrate Jesus, (laughs) and I'd get the Christmas decorations down, but in the process of doing that, I would hit my freaking head on a support beam up in the attic. For me, hitting my head hard on something causes a tremendous amount of anger inside of me. I don't know if I'm the only one, but it's like in that moment, you fight back. You start kicking it and punching it. Like, I'm going to get a hammer. I will tear this house to the ground. I have a little bit of an anger issue there. I can get easily frustrated with things, people. I can get discouraged easily about things that I have no control over. But I get discouraged. I can be very critical. Very critical. I have a dry sense of humor. You might say I can be a little sarcastic. And I can be incredibly cutting with my conversation. Just critical of people. I can't overcome these things alone. I've tried. It doesn't work. (coughs) Only when I and infused with Christ's confidence in who he is. Can I walk in freedom with those things? Hebrews 4.14 says, Now that we know that we have Jesus, the great high priest, with ready access to God, let's not let it slip through our fingers. Let's not neglect it, belittle it, We don't have a priest who's out of touch with our reality. That's not who Jesus is. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. God doesn't just love me. He doesn't just listen to me. He wants me to overcome. And it's so important because if you just go, he loves you, he listens to you. Like we're not trying to create this like cosmic grandmother. Come on in. 
have a seat. Have some cookies. I love you. I'm ready to listen to you. No, we serve a God who created the universe. We serve a God who defeated death and the grave. We serve a God who kicks the devil's butt day in and day out. And he is with us. And because he's with us, we can overcome. Philippians 4.13, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. God loves, he listens, he helps us overcome. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. I believe that God wants to do something in us so that he can also do something through us. Having Christ's confidence is so important, first and foremost, just because of who he wants you to be in him, but it's also because of what he wants to do through you. But I find one of the areas that so many people lack confidence is just in relationship with him. And so that's what I want to address right now. You cannot have Christ's confidence without responding to relationship with him. And so right now, the great news is this. It's not your ability to initiate a relationship with God. You can't. He's already done it all. He is the initiator. Jesus came and he died on the cross for you, for your sin. He defeated death. He defeated your sin in the grave. He rose again. And right now, all you have to do is simply respond because he says, if you'll believe that in your heart, if you'll believe that and you'll confess it and you can make a private decision right there in your chair. You can make a private decision right there in your chair. You need to go public with this through conversation at one point or another through water baptism, but right there in your chair, you can make a decision to respond to a relationship with Jesus. And some of you, you've lost confidence because you maybe made a decision, but you know you've gotten off track. (coughs) God is simply saying, come back, come back, come back. I'm still listening. I still love. I still want you to overcome. With me, you can. So if you need to come back to him or you need to respond to a relationship with him for the first time, if that's you, nobody looking around, I want you to just put your hand up and I want to pray for you this morning. Got it. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I need a relationship with Jesus. Got it. Thank you, guys. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yes, sir. Thank you, guys. Anybody else? I need a relationship with Jesus. I need to respond to that. I need to come back to him this morning. I want to know that he loves me. I want to know that he listens. And I want to overcome through him. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. God is so good. He sees you. Just have a conversation with him right there in your chair. Just talk to him. 
say, I need you, Jesus. I know, I know I can't do this. I can't do it. I surrender to you. I know you won't make me love you. I know you won't make me repent, but right now I choose to. I respond. I repent. I stop. I turn away from my sin. I stop turn and I turn away from living for myself and doing my own thing. And I want to turn towards you. And I respond now to relationship with you. Come and have your way in my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I give my life to you. every person that raised their hand. You see them, you hear them, you love them, and you're going to help them overcome. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Okay, family, this morning we're going to take communion together. I'm going to ask the people that are going to serve that. You guys can go ahead and make your way up here, but uh, like Jared mentioned, this is Thanksgiving week. If you didn't know that, sorry. Um, I will give you a little hint. If you want to remove some stress from your life, Kroger will sell you a full Thanksgiving meal. Come on, somebody. How many are thankful for Kroger? Okay. Uh, Cracker Barrel will do the same thing. I know these things because that's how we roll in the Bennett household. Okay. And you can judge us all you want, but hey, we don't have to cook. So happy wife, happy life. Um, but even though we're in this week of Thanksgiving, I know there's a lot of times that I'm not thankful. A couple days ago, um, we were coming back from spending some time with our staff at a retreat. And um, I'm an aggressive driver, uh, which means sometimes I drive too fast. <laughs> and so I was coming back and it was, I don't remember where, just outside of Clinton, I think which is another negative thing. But uh, anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, and I uh, got pulled over. I was going, uh, I think, 78 and a 55. So that's not good. And uh, for all the law enforcement officers in the house, I repent. I apologize. I know that it was wrong. I had just passed a truck that I had been stuck behind for a while. And so I was experiencing some freedom in that moment, just enjoying that. And, uh, but, and I took it a little too far. So I got pulled over and officer came up and uh, nice man, and handed him, had everything ready. He wasn't going to act like, what happened? What seems to be the problem, officer? had everything just stacked up as soon as I rolled down the window he didn't even finish asking for it and I was ready to present so I did and um, he's like okay well I'll be I'll be back but how many of y'all know however long it takes for them to come back is an indication of what your life is going to be like <laughs> on the rest of that drive so he went away and Cody was with me and I'm just like, uh, just kind of trying to prepare myself emotionally, spiritually, physically for the ramifications of my poor decision. And, and uh, he 
he came back in like three minutes. now and he came back and he said sir I'm just going to give you a warning today I had a Holy Spirit break out right there in the car and just got my praise on you know and I remember I was so thankful But the question I feel like the Holy Spirit brought to my heart is would I have been thankful regardless? Would I have still been thankful even if I got a ticket? The answer is no. (laughs) No, I would not have had thankfulness in my heart or anywhere else in my life had I gotten a ticket. But I think that's exactly what God wants to figure out in our hearts. True thankfulness is not based on that moment and how it goes my way or doesn't go my way. God is God and God is good. And we have a lot to be thankful for. I think communion helps us remember the goodness of God. Let's stand up together. You don't have to be a member of our church to take communion with us. That's not even biblical. The word says to not take it in an unworthy fashion, which means even believers, you have to examine your heart and make sure you're not taking this with bitterness, unforgiveness, unconfessed sin. You can get the elements and get those things right. Just don't take it if you're just in a place where you're resistant to the Holy Spirit. Because even if you take it, you won't, you're not getting what it's for. So remember Christ. The word says, as often as you do this, it doesn't say how many times. Some people take it every week. We don't. I wish we could. I'm already going late. One of the reasons why we don't, is we've got another service coming, and sometimes it's difficult to get it in, but we want to do it. Every once in a while, just remember like what Jesus did for us and his goodness and his body that was broken so we can be whole and his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. So if you're here today and you don't want to take communion, you can just pass by. Nobody's going to judge you. Nobody's going to look at you weird. You don't have to take the elements. But I would encourage you to just examine your heart. The way this is going to work, I'll pray here in just a second. But I want you just to come out of the left side of your aisle, or your row, rather, out of your row. And as soon as the row in front of you is into the aisle, then you just file in behind them. You'll all come out and kind of circle from the left to the right and then you just go back and file right back into your row now let's just keep this in a moment There's, we're going to have worship let's just keep it in a moment of reflection though just remembering what Jesus did examining our hearts let's go into this week with a true heart of thankfulness that we're not going to let situation or circumstance or people dictate our level of thankfulness because God is good. Amen. Father, we just come before you now as a family, as a church family, and we take communion, remembering who you are, remembering what you did, Jesus. We pray, God, that you would just help us right now in our hearts to be thankful for who you are, truly thankful in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys can start coming up and get the elements. Just hold on to them. We'll take them together at the end.